It's for the ladies. It's for the ladies. Hello, ladies. Yeah. This one's for you. Yeah. Anyways, we were talking about Wind Chung, but were we? I think so. I don't want to offend anybody, but yeah, who are we gonna offend? Hey, mm. what do you think about arts being Taoist or arts being Buddhist? You know, I I I know I just threw a curveball at you, but mm. it's something that I've been thinking about a long time. You know, I've studied Chinese martial arts for twenty three years now, and Wu Don and Shaolin stand out so much. Even Ome, the the kind of third party three legged little mean sister, like, it's like Reebok and Nike. Yeah, like, kind of, you know, kind of like a like a side of you know Asics or something. We had a thirty thirty Winchester when I was growing up as a kid, a hexagon barrel. It was a, a old Border Patrol rifle. Was it from, a lever action? It was a lever action mm. from the eighteen hundreds, and I loved that thing. And never once did we consider it Catholic. Mm. We didn't consider it. Church of Christ, right? Which my dad was Catholic, and my mother, you know, was mainly Church of Christ. It wasn't. It didn't have a denomination, right? It had a purpose. It's hmm. a good way to look at it. And it wasn't blessed, you know. We mm-hmm. did. It did bless us with, uh, you know, an elk or a, or a, or a deer every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we had a little four ten single shot. And my dad had a 12-gauge, and uh, we would go out and go rabbit and pheasant hunting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, never once did I consider that 410 Seventh-day Adventist, you know. <laughs> and so I understand that the Chinese tie in so much of their culture, so much of it. It is interwoven mm-hmm. into everything that they do. Sure. But why is it so prevalent that they have to be labeled as a Shaolin or a Wudan art. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of, especially in the internal arts, yeah, that those are not Wudan arts. I'm sorry. Wudan adopted these arts sure. yeah. and modified them, mm-hmm. but they did not come from those temples. No. No, I think you're exactly right. And... You know, what a complicated topic. I mean, like, where do you even start with that? A, a, most of it's so old that, like, nobody really knows. You know, you got people out there who think Chinese martial arts are dance methods. You got Chinese martial well, arts. Well, some are, people teach them like dance methods. Well, I'll tell you that much. for sure. You know, and, I mean, more power to them. I mean, but, you know, don't pretend that you're going to kick somebody's ass with your dance method. Like, say, okay, this is a dance method, and that's what we're doing, and that's fine. That just goes back to me. That's my my honesty about trying to be honest about what I'm doing. But I think in terms of, you know, the little bit of reading that I have done over the years, specifically about like Taoism outside of that martial arts context, it was really interesting because, and you know, maybe this is just me. And maybe this is my lack of experience. Uh, you know, for sure, I'm not a first-hand uh, researcher. Yeah, you're not or, wearing your robes right now, bro. Well, yeah, man. And, you know, I don't speak Chinese. I don't read Chinese. So, therefore, you know, I'm always – it's always like once removed from my conceptual thinking about this. But 
I thought it was really interesting in David Ross's book on, you know, sort of Chinese martial arts history. And, you know, he talks a fair amount about the sort of Shaolin and, and Wudang and, um, you know, sort of the historical contexts and, and, and things like that. And the one thing that I remember now as I'm thinking back on it was there wasn't a lot of, at least in the sort of older texts, there wasn't a lot of reference to martial arts at Wudang. Michelle is a different animal. Um, but I really thought that was interesting. And I, I spent a lot of time reading, um, uh, you know, Red Pine. Absolutely. Bill Porter. What yeah, a badass. Bill Porter. And, you know, he has really spent a lot of time in those environments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, practicing, speaking, interviewing, talking, hiking, you know, you name it. Living in the huts with the old hermits, man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't make a lot of references to martial arts in in any of his books, especially when he's talking either about historical references or more modern encounters uh, with, you know, Chinese hermits starting in the nineties. Now, I think that it's a different animal. I think, you know, the things that I have heard him talk about uh, specifically was around like Qigong and like Nagong practices, you know, to help the body stay warm when they're freezing their asses off up there in the middle of winter. Um, but, you know, that stuff's been going on for, you know, 4,000, 5,000 plus years. Now, in terms of like how we view it, I think is really a product of like Wuxia novels, mm. you know, from the last 100 years, 150 years, you know, the which I also like. Which I've read a fair amount I of because they're translated into English. You know, um, how funny that a pop culture novel, the Wu Cha novel or the Night, the Night, night novels, errants, yeah, yeah. because you know, because I mean, the the pop novel also was happening a hundred years over here in America. Mm-hmm. It's like a pulp. Yeah, exactly. That's where that's where I was going with it. it was the mm-hmm. pulp? You know, you have your detective novels. A lot of people and uh, you and I are huge science fiction readers, mm-hmm. but in the science fiction ages, in the, you know the eight, you know nineteen eighteen, nineteen twenty, nineteen thirty, of course we hadn't gone up to space yet, mm-hmm. right? So what they were doing was is they were transposing a character from either adventure novels like uh, you know in Indiana Jones mm-hmm. or uh, Tarzan. They're taking that character or the cowboy, and they're sticking that character type in space, mm-hmm. right? And so you have sure. you have your, I mean, Star Wars, space cowboys, yeah, space cowboys, yeah. As a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, Cowboy Bebop's coming out to Netflix in a couple months, which I'm stoked about. Live action. Um, look at Star Wars. You're talking about space knights and wizards mm-hmm. in space, right. you know? And so, you know, you have these these knights, these magical, you know, knights from China, you know, swinging around magical swords mm-hmm. and uh, legendary fighting styles and mythical fighting styles that, you know, the gods would teach you. And eventually, it go, you know, it integrates its way down into Golden Harvest, Mm-hmm. And uh, who, who the Shaw brothers? Sure, yeah, Shaw yeah. brothers. And I mean, the shit out of that. Oh, still do. And I guess I feel like, <laughs> I guess I feel like somebody actually playing a war video game. It's like this is not real. This is a video game. Sure. If yeah. I went out there and put on, you know, all, everything, I'd probably get my ass shot within five minutes. Mm-hmm. So you know, something that's for entertainment and something's for actual legitimate self defense. Again, almost going back to the MMA episode that we were talking about, you better know what it's for. 
you better know what the limitations are of your training. And not only your training, but yourself. What are your own personal limitations? You know, I can totally jog a mile. It doesn't look pretty, but I can totally jog a mile. But I know some, you know, I'm a little short chubby guy, but I know people that are my size that are ripped, If you, they couldn't jog a mile. You know what I mean? So every, you know, but anything after a mile, don't ask me to do it. I'm walking. <laughs> but, you know, knowing your own limitations, knowing your martial arts limitations, and knowing what you're training for. Are you training for a Wushu trophy? Go for it. If mm-hmm. that's what you want, do it. Yeah, absolutely. There are great coaches out there. Yep. There are great places out there. Mm-hmm. I am not ever going to poo-poo you on training for what you want. Mm-hmm. But if you're disappointed and you're heartbroken and you're pissed because you had to defend yourself and you got your ass handed to you, then you might need to look in the mirror a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the Wuxia novel is just an extension of like, you know, sort of the older Chinese legends. I mean, because even if you look at like we talk about Cheng Fong, right? Tencent Fong, the legendary founder of Taiji. And I think that's a perfect Wuxia metaphor. You know, like you, you hear about the legend of, of Chainsaw Fong and there's lots of, you know, made up stories about Chainsaw Fong and, and not even, I mean, sort of post pre, pre Tai founding Tai Chi and post founding Tai Chi. And it's, it's like just the perfect it, wuxia metaphor. And there's lots of things like that in like Chinese history and in, you know, the Chinese sort of mythology. And Which they, is so interwoven, mm-hmm. you know, their, their, their mythology and their history where where here in the West we would consider them to be two separate things. If there are morals in a in a mythological story that you can learn mm-hmm. from a mythology, I'll give you an example. Moby Dick. If that was written in China, I guarantee you that not only would it be a part of their written history, but it would be a part of their you know bunny ears in the air history history. Sure. Because you know Ahab went nutso and he took everybody down with him going after that whale. Mm-hmm. And the, and if if you don't read that story and get 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 some good lessons out of it, you're you know, it's not only super entertaining to read Moby Dick, but there's a ton of lessons that happen in that story. Mm-hmm. And if that was from China, they'd be like, "Hey, read that. That's history right there. There's a hard lesson. That sure. captain took down his whole damn crew going after that white whale. He had no business doing it, and that whale let him have it." Mm-hmm. You know, one guy lived apparently, and that was Ismail. Because he's the one that tells the story. Right. You know, or at least we don't know his name. He just says, call me Ishmael. Right. Right. But it's, it's so interesting and fascinating how those two concepts for us that are so divided are not necessarily divided over there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that the, well, I mean, it, it, here's a perfect example of how it's going on over here. I get people, young people who show up to my Bagua class. Who want to airbend. That's their thing. That's where they heard about it. They know that airbending is bagua, and that's what they want to do. They want to come to class, and they want to do bagua. I want to do bagua. I'm like, are you sure you want to do bagua? Like, bagua, bagua is not easy. It's a tough art to learn and to execute and to do well. No, 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 I want to do it. I want to do it. And then they come. And then they're there for a couple of months, maybe. And then they quit. Why? Because, you know, I, I don't, I do my, my martial art is a hobby. I'm not a professional. I don't make my money from it. Yeah. But you practice daily. Yeah. I practice all the time. Have for years and years and years, decades now. But you know, the, 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 the point of that story is that I don't, 
I'm not going to coddle somebody just to make a buck just because I have that luxury. I do too. Thank God I have a, a really decent paying job outside of this, mm-hmm. you know, because if I didn't, you know, I, I might be more invested in trying to, you know, cater to whoever comes along or cater to a particular crowd or, or a particular person. But I don't. And I think that there, that shows up in a lot of these people who come through my class and are disappointed, you know, because they, they couldn't pick it up quickly. But I, I, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, hey, if you want to learn, if you want to learn to fight really quickly, go to Easton's, go learn, go learn Muay Thai. Man, you can pick up some, you can, if you train your ass off, you work for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, two years, you're going to know how to fight. And you're going to know how to fight pretty well, probably. As long as you get in there, you do the work and you fight. Like learning Chinese internal martial arts, uh, it's going to take a lot longer. Might take, you know, if you got shingy, all right. You know, you can, you can, you yeah, can, but you, you got to practice shit out of that too. Yeah, of course. You know, the there's first... no, there's no shortcuts. That's the thing. There's no hacks. There's no shortcuts. It's like you have to put in the work. You have to show up to class. You have to work on, and you have to break it down. You have to work on your hand methods. You have to work on your footwork. You have to work on your body method. You have to, I mean, there's just, there's an endless amount of stuff that you have to work on. And if you don't put in the work, you don't get the results. And then I think that that's, that's kind of a tough lesson, you know? I think you got to, you got, as, as, as somebody once told me, it's like, yeah, you got to really want it. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Um, I noticed this in the last Olympics, but do you know who the number one country is? I know there's the, the numerics and the numbers, but do you know who's giving Korea a run for their money in the Taekwondo tournaments these days? Mm. China. Huh. You want to know why? Because Taekwondo, even if you're practicing two or three hours a day, is a hell of a lot easier than most Chinese Kung Fu styles. Sure. Yeah. And you can pick it up. I mean, even on, if it was a school that would teach basic self-defense, even with Taekwondo, blocking, punching, and kicking, mm-hmm. you can get some pretty decent. I mean, it almost becomes a kind of oriental kickboxing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, their their demo teams are going toe-to-toe with the Koreans huh. now. But it's because – and I'm not going to pick on the generations either – but you have an emerging middle class over in China. Mm. And, you know, the parents and the kids are like, hey, you know what? We can go to three hours of Taekwondo five days a week as opposed to eight hours of like Hunga mm. or Cholifu or like Mitsong or, you know, Lohan. You know, yeah, you're going to have to be there eight hours, five days a week. And maybe five or six years, you might get some, some legitimacy. It was mm. like that gentleman uh, I was telling you about. On the Drunken Podcast with uh, Byron Jacobs, Mr. Ma, um, they have a freaking sweet meow dao system. Shout out to Byron Jacobs yep. for keeping it real. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> Ma was the gentleman that made me laugh so much. I, I was cracking up. Byron was cracking up. He was talking about, you know, some of the staff work, you know, being able to transfer over to stores. He's like, yeah, but you got to remember, finger not dick. And I, I, dude, I was laughing out loud at that, what he said. But he was saying that, you know, he'd get a lot of either European students or American students or people from the UK. He's like, even from South America, they were coming over. And to learn their Meow Dao, which is their number one top weapon, that's the, that's their thing that school's known for. Hmm. You have to learn some of the empty handed sets too. You know, they've, yeah. they've got, they've got, they've got the, you know, I think they've got Pigua, they've got some Boggy and, the, and you know, a few other of the long fist arts and they're very high level at it. Very excellent. And he, he's like, I distinctly remember some kid coming up to me. He's like, hey, man, 
can you fast track this for me? And he thought about it. He looks, he's like looking up at the head and he's kind of doing some math in his head. He's like, yeah, totally. We're going to fast track this for you. How long is it going to take? Six years. Oh, I was thinking like three or four months. Nope. Nope. You're not putting my school's name on something that's been done in three or four months. If you're going to represent me in my sword system, you're going to put in six years worth of work and you're going to work your ass off daily for it. Right. You know, because these kind of skills are not overnight. You wouldn't expect a master carpenter to learn cabinetry in two months. I mean, you might learn how to cut the boards correctly in like three or four months, you know. And I'm not talking just with a jigsaw or a skill saw. I'm talking by hand, you know. You wouldn't ask that of a master cabinet maker, you know. I I keep telling you this and I keep bringing up the story because I think it's so important, the classically trained artist. In 2000, I had an old girlfriend that we took to Aspen for a date, and we went to one of the art galleries, and they had Picassos up. But they weren't Picassos everyone knows them for. What they were is they had 25 of his figure drawings, charcoal, beautiful, amazing. I'm an idiot because there was a few of them for sale for like two and three hundred dollars and I had the money in the bank and I should have picked one up because not only is he one of my favorite artists but I can't even imagine what they'd be worth 21 years later Picasso trained for years and years as a classical artist he learned how to figure draw he learned how to do clay molding he learned how to do oil paints and make the paints from scratch he did watercolor he did everything that a classical artist had to do and then he learned how to bend the rules. You know, Sifu Meyer is big on, he's like, everyone wants to throw away the box and they're not even willing to figure out what the damn box is in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, the box has an inside. It has the hollow space. But the box also has a surface area on the outside. And the box doesn't have to be laying flat. Stick it up on one of its corners and spin it. See what that box does for you. You know, take something and learn it inside and out, sideways, upside down, in reverse. And then start to make it your own. Mm. Pollock. You know, most people see Pollock's paintings and it's like, there's a bunch of paint slathered out there. Pollock trained for years classically. Trained for years to learn how to break the rules or bend them. You don't even necessarily have to break them. But but if you need to bend them, you you damn damn well better know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You better be good in your art. Wow, we started this with with a Catholic rifle. (laughs) <laughs> we definitely went down the rabbit hole with this one, you know, <laughs> down to Wudan and everything like that. You know, a lot of the Southern arts, you know, are supposedly from Shaolin. Did Southern Shaolin Temple exist? You know, they're saying that they found the burial site or the burned down site. Who knows if it's something that they've put there themselves. But but for these arts to be effective for like building a community. Building a self-defense system, building good people, building camaraderie. Do they have to be attached to Shaolin? Do they have to be attached to Udon? Well, I don't I mean, think so. You know, those, those, are, those are no longer – those are brands. This is marketing. This is not – it's not – I mean it's not really about – martial arts it's not really about you know 
sort of the spirituality part. I mean, I suppose it's all, I suppose it's out there somewhere, but my impression of it is that, you know, the, I mean, it, the Chinese government got a hold of it and they, when they, in 1979, they decided that they were going to, uh, lighten up so on this the is restrictions. That was my fault. No, yeah, maybe. That was the year I was born. Maybe. Could have been. But, you know, they decided to let people go back to the temples. And so they, you know, some people went back to the temples and the, the Taoist temples and the Buddhist temples and, and all the other ones as well. And, you know, what started to come out of that was, you know, sort of a, a, a renaissance of, you know, the last older generation who had been traditionally trained at those temples before they were removed by Mao and the, and the um, Red Guard and, and all of them during the Cultural Revolution in the 60s. Um, you know, there were still some some of those people who were around. And, you know, a lot of, some of them returned to the temple. Some of them didn't. Some of them have gone and made a secular life outside of all of that. But, you know, the Chinese government is pretty smart in their own way. And they decided that they were going to centralize the control of those institutions. So they have basically had like a, you know, a department of religion. And they have, you know, ministers and they've got an entire organization around, you know, who gets to practice and who doesn't and who's registered and who's not. And, and, you know, and yeah, I mean, I think I read somewhere that Shaolin Temple now has an annual revenue of around $63 million a year. I mean, it's just an insane fucking amount of money. And they were no longer because... Very spiritual. Well, you know... Very, very Buddhist. yeah, Yeah. I mean... You know, the, and, you know, some, I, I, I give them some, some props because I also read it. I think it was in the same article. I wish I could remember which, um, they were talking to the abbot and he was like, yeah, you know, we have, we haven't had a meditation hall. We haven't had like a proper meditation practice at Shaolin Temple in a long time. And like they had, they had forgotten sort of like how to run a Zendo, you know, like a proper Chan, uh, meditation hall. So they had sent, uh, amongst other parts of China where they still had, uh, you know, a proper meditation practice where the emphasis wasn't on tourism and martial arts to sort of bring that part of the religion, for lack of a better word. And if you know anything about Buddhism and, and you know, Chan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism in general, that is a central core of what you do when you're at, temp- at the temple. And he said that they were at, what they were actually doing was they had another temple they'd either acquired, they'd bought or built somewhere else where they were actually like practicing meditation. So they'd actually reintroduced the the traditional practice of like Chan meditation back into Shaolin temple by sending their monks for, you know, three to three months and four months at a time to practice meditation at this, this other location that wasn't, it's not Shaolin just because Shaolin's, you know, it's just so commercialized these days. But I was like, I kind of, you know, I, I was like, hey, good for you. There's some honesty in there. Yeah. You know, it was, it was pretty, I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. But um, it sort of shows you like how far it's gone. You know, it's become such a cash cow that, you know, you, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to stop telling people to you know, that this is not like this, what we're doing at Shaolin temple. They're like, this is the real Shaolin, 
And, you know, when you look at it, you're like, okay, that's, that's more like modern wushu, you know, cause you can find lineages of traditional Shaolin Kung Fu that are still out there and still practicing and they don't look anything like that. So, you know, there's a real split. There's a real dichotomy there where you come up against like the Chinese government and marketing and money and commercialism, um, as opposed to, you know, something that may be just more traditional with somebody who has a lineage of, of Shaolin Kung Fu that came from the temple who knows how many years ago and doesn't have all of that flash and it doesn't have the the, the money. Like you go you go to, I think it's Dangfeng Village where Shaolin Temple is and I was there in 96 and even then when we drove through the village on our way to Shaolin Temple – there's these huge schools like all around that are teaching – they're basically teaching Sanda. You know? They're teaching like modern Chinese kickboxing, which is Sanda's cool. I like Sanda. But you know, it's like – and then all the monks are also trained in Sanda. And most of the – I think a lot of the Wudang monks also train in Sanda. So you know, you have – you know, it's like if – I was watching this video the other day on, on Instagram. This is my illustration of this. It was a video of a Shaolin monk at Shaolin, and he was doing a traditional long fist form. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, that look, that's, that's, that's Shaolin Kung Fu. And then it cut to him, like, practicing. It was like he was, like, shadow boxing. It was like he was kind of free boxing. Um, and, uh, uh, and he was kicking this tree. But all of the moves he, were doing, he was doing were all from Sanda. Like his stance was a Sanda stance, his roundhouse kicks were Sanda, his front kicks. And I was like, oh, there you go. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the tail of the tape for lack of, for lack of a better word. And you know, there's, there's a disconnect between, you have two distinct things. They're doing the Shaolin movement of Kung Fu, you mm-hmm. know, bunny ears in the air. And then they're doing Sanda for fighting. Yeah. And, and what happens is, is what are the forms for? Sure. I mean, I mean, you know, the guys are, the guys are, the thing is, is like, you know, the monks are like very well trained. They're very talented. They're very athletic. So, you know, they're in good fucking shape. Totally. Way. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Six packs for days. Yeah. I'm not denigrating their, their, their Physical training. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even their martial skill. I mean, I'm sure most of them are pretty fucking good at Sanda, you know. But who can can apply the forms? Who can apply the forms? That is really kind of what it starts to boil down to. You know, two guys that you could kind of say almost do the same thing as we we wind down this conversation. And go ahead and keep these conversations going in your group. That's kind of what we're out here to do, guys, is we're having conversations between each other, but we're trying to spark some interest in what you guys are doing and thinking and training. So keep that conversation going on your end, too. And as as far as goes for the Western groups that are kind of doing that is is Mr. Cartmill Mm. and David Ross. Mm-hmm. They're doing kind of a Sanda thing, but here's here's the difference. I can see David use his Lama Pai Kung mm-hmm. Fu yeah. after his Sanda setup. I can see him use his Shui Jiao mm-hmm. after a Sanda setup. Sure. I can see him use some of his Pakme after a Sanda setup. Same thing with Tim. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he busts out a little bit of Bagua. All of a sudden, there's a Tai Chi, you know, Larry Curly Mo trip is what I call it. You know, <laughs> he got in on somebody, you know, that was trying to kick. He gets in on their kick and then, boom, throws out the Tai Chi throw. Mm-hmm. You know, throws out some Xing Yi out of it. You know, enters with Xing Yi and then does something, you know, Shui Jiao or Bagwash. Mm-hmm. So they still have the forms. 
they still have their sanda entry and techniques, but they're using the kung fu for their transition. And that still has kung fu in it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And if the monks were doing a little bit something more like that, I yeah, I might be taking a trip over there myself, you know. Chubby kids doing backflips, I see it all the time, but I just there's such a divorce between their forms mm. and what they're doing for combat training. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're going to do Sanda, have a Muay Thai go over there. He's going to win all like 99.9% of the time. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's fairly true. I think there's a lot of those, those Sanda guys who, um, although they're getting better, you know, I think with, uh, you know, the, um, oh, what's her name? The UFC champion who just, she just lost to Thug Rose. Ro- yeah. Rose Namajunas. Um, is it Song Lady? I think oh, that's I can't name. remember. Anyway, um, she's so good. She's so good. Yeah, you know, totally. But once again, she's not. She's not doing Sanda. I mean, she's doing some Sanda, but like she's really doing mixed martial arts. Hundred percent. You know. So back it's, to it's, our mixed martial arts conversation. Yeah, but you know, I think, and I think Byron actually interviewed her, and it was really interesting he because, did. um, I think she always makes it a point to sort of say, "Oh, well, I've done." some traditional, you know, Kung Fu. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But, you know, most of the people have probably done traditional Kung Fu, but are they using it? Well, who knows? I suppose that's, that's the, that's the question. Yeah.